Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Time to talk some Golden State Warriors now. First time we've ever done that on the program. But they head into, obviously, a much, much different offseason than we've seen before. Kevin Durant's situation, of course, in flux. Clay Thompson, also a free agent, although widely expected to re-sign in Golden State if they don't mess with his money too much. But he's coming off the torn ACL. Of course, Kevin Durant coming off the torn Achilles. Possible that neither of them plays next year. Clay, they're talking about him nine to ten months, potentially. Not sure really what that's based on he hasn't even had his surgery yet uh and kd they're talking about him maybe missing the entire season so let's start here danny uh, with their financial picture and really probably the best way to do it is just to to talk about the scenarios involved so let's say a scenario in which kd and clay actually both uh, are re-signed i think a healthy way of of kind of putting this is that if in in most scenarios the warriors are are well over the cap and in, in many in that circumstance when you're talking about they're well over the tax but it's worth noting and emphasizing that 2019-20 is the first year that the Warriors would pay the repeater tax so that means an extra dollar for every dollar they're over the tax line so that makes every expenditure more costly for ownership and it's not it doesn't necessarily prevent anything but it it does make the team even even more expensive so if they brought back Durant and Thompson at basically any salary they'd be way over the tax threshold yeah and the assumption of course that is if they return KD starting at $38.2 million his overall cost on a five-year max deal which it's been reported that they will in fact offer him despite the torn Achilles that would be a with the maximum 8% annual raises five years $221.3 million and then Thompson his five-year max five years $189.7 million this is based on the current estimate of $109 million cap there's been some evidence that albert namad is tweeting about that maybe it'll go a little higher than that but that's generally what we're talking about so those two contracts in the 23 24 season when clay thompson will be his age 33 season kd would be his age 34 season clay will be making 43.2 million dollars and kd would be making 50.4 million dollars in that last season also worth noting that if either or both of those go five years that extends beyond Stephen Curry's contract by two full seasons because he signed his designated veteran contract 
in the summer of 2017 yeah so uh, we've talked about it many times before of just what these absolutely staggering numbers could be uh, were they to bring back uh, this entire group and they're moving into the chase center they are going to have full control over that building they're also going to be landlords for a bunch of space uh, around there some of the projects that are getting built so they're going to have plenty of money but that also is money that's not going into the owner's pocket and it's also potentially two players who may not play a minute next season and to pay this amount if you're looking at the repeater tax call it on a very conservative estimate say their overall team salary in this case they you know absolute best they're gonna do and we'll talk about demarcus cousins in a second if they thought about bringing him back but probably the absolute best you're gonna do just to fill out a roster is to have a a team salary in the range of 165 million dollars and that means you are 32 million dollars into the tax paying a repeater tax of about 130 million dollars so you're looking at a team salary plus repeater tax approaching in the 300 million dollar range for this team and there have been reports that hey these guys could probably afford that Uh, and your other problem there too is you know unless Andre Guadalla were just to like get hurt and then they would just have to move him to to save money I mean they were going to need Andre Guadalla next year uh, with Clay and KD out they still have the potential disabled player exception too for those guys which we'll get to but that is a lot of money for a team that probably you know is going to be fighting to get into the playoffs on the back of Steph Curry and Jeremiah Green especially Danny when you consider that if you bring back Clay and KD they have very limited team building tools at their disposal that's right and I think this is a good place to talk about the disabled player exception so the threshold for the DPE is incredibly strong and the Warriors are hurt by the timing of their injuries because the the threshold and first of all the only team that could even apply for a dp for either of those players is the warriors because they were hurt and members of that team so if a new team signs them you could this isn't the terminology but you could think of it kind of like a pre-existing condition so you can't apply for a disabled player exception when you knew it going in and what what the process would be there that the uh the nba designated fit physician or the fitness to play panel will decide whether that player so it would be separate applications for each of them is substantial more likely than not to be unable to play through the following June 15th. So that June 15th is a very important date. And even if you say a player is most likely out for the season, that does not necessarily mean that they are substantially more likely than not to be unable to play that entire time. My read, based on the history of these injuries, is that neither one of those applications, unless there's a a more severe element to this that we don't know yet that makes these injuries anomalous to, like makes them unusual for what what they are, that they would be out that long. Yeah, now the NBA has historically been relatively lenient in some of these cases you go back to Udonis Haslam for example they got a disabled player for exception for him and he actually ended up playing in the playoffs in the 2011 season after a foot injury so they usually are not too stringent about these but your other problem too then comes in in using that disabled player exception which you can either sign a player to a one-year deal for up to the mid-level exception or you can well, we, we should clarify yeah. the non-taxpayer mid-level so it'd actually be a, a richer mid-level than the Warriors would have for their other yeah. purposes 
Yeah, when I say the mid-level exception, I mean just the non-taxpayer. Okay. I'll say, I, I, I usually just, say yeah. taxpayer mid-level if, sure. it's, if I'm specific to that one. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, that's a significant contract, 9.2. You can also trade for someone in the last year of his deal, making up a, to 9.2 without having to send salary back. But holy hell, you're looking at, if you add in another $9.2 million, well, actually, I can't tell you exactly how much it is because that would break my luxury tax calculator that only goes up to a certain bracket but it would be you know over 50 million dollars in taxes to add to that team now if one of kd or clay were to leave then that makes things easier at least as far as adding to this team then there's also the situation of demarcus cousins whom they can pay up to 6.4 million dollars because he was on the team last year at that taxpayer mid-level for 5.4 give him 120 percent of that salary for next year with the non-bird rights since he's only been on the team one year and they could offer him a, up to a four-year deal starting at that uh, amount as well cousins market very very difficult to anticipate right now obviously had i think he was starting to play well enough at times towards the end of the regular season where his market might have been above that then he had that torn quad came back in the finals had two okay games and some pretty bad games is a team gonna look at him coming in as a starter who needs centers you know he's going to be below the pecking order certainly below al horford and brooke lopez and nikola fucevic and so he's one guy i'm very interested to see how it turns out for him in our mock off season but it seems to me more likely than not that there isn't necessarily going to be a cap space team that's going to give him you know 15 million dollars a year especially on a long-term deal and i don't know whether he enjoyed his time here or not but there certainly would be quite a role for him uh as really the number two offensive option on this team for most of next season regardless of whether k or clay or kd come back but they don't really have a way to offer him more than that 6.4 million right and remember that that 6.4 million is more than the taxpayer mid-level so if he's going to come back in all likelihood it's going to be at that number or theoretically less i guess and cousins took that one-year deal last year and i think the the expectation on his part was presumably to use that and the success to parlay it into a longer term deal cousins is 28 right now but he turns 29 before the start of next season so is he really willing to roll the dice again and also like what other multi-year options are out there you know you talked about the idea of whether the cap space teams would do it the per year amount is important for them but also the duration is extremely important and i could imagine some teams saying maybe for a year or two we could pay to marcus cousins but you don't want to go into his 30s especially when you don't know exactly what his game is going to be and he that he didn't play well enough to to do that and teams as we've seen have been very reluctant to throw long-term money on for players that they aren't as confident in their in their futures and that is one way some teams have gotten better in the recent past so i think that's a significant factor and then the other one along those lines that we can talk about there's more flexibility in terms of paying him is kavan looney looney is in an unusual circumstance that he is unrestricted but also is has a minimum cap hold which doesn't really matter too much to the warriors but he also they have full bird rights on him meaning that the warriors could theoretically pay looney a starting salary anything from his minimum to his maximum now you went through the numbers and and the Peter tax I mean basically any iteration of the Warriors where either Clay or KD comes back much less both is in, is incredibly expensive but the Warriors have the capacity to bring him back at whatever number both sides find agreeable yeah I mean the crazy thing about bringing back KD especially if it's clear that he's not going to play next year at all which you know that's been been what's said right now um you know I'm sure after the debacle 
of his injury return during the playoffs they would not put any pressure on him whatsoever to come back both publicly or privately you would think at least if they bring him back but him and clay both being back i mean at that point you almost really are committed to punting next year because it's just i mean i know they have a lot of money but it would be so expensive to just try to field a team around those guys and yeah they might be able to get some guys in free agency for the minimum just with the promise of a, of a role on, on a solid team of being in golden state and whatever and maybe they get brought back again but uh the next year as a carrot but you know to be at 300 million dollars and that's no cousins no looney coming back no jordan bell who we didn't talk about either uh that's no uh smilogic is that how you say his last name the, their number 39 draft pick i think it's smilogic but smilogic we'll- yeah uh and uh eric Pashal either so i mean those guys are presumably going to be on the team if luckily for them they'll probably be at the minimum but still uh and actually i think that's part of why they're so aggressive buying these second round picks is just because when a guy's a second round pick then you can you get a ton of savings just by having him at that rookie minimum on your roster and he's a second round pick so he doesn't cost extra against the tax the way uh someone who's just signed for the minimum elsewhere would uh so it actually you know it saves them money to buy these second round picks in theory uh and give up future second round picks to get them in even if you know just to have a roster spot that's taking up the absolute minimum possible amount against the tax so yeah i mean you're talking about to just even you know bring back a looney and you know to use the the mini mid level and you what you need to do to even fill out this team you know that's probably another hundred million bucks in tax on top of clay and kd who aren't playing so i mean you're looking at 400 million dollars probably almost there um and so maybe they just decide hey we're we're gonna just not do that because it doesn't make sense to spend another hundred million dollars for this year that we're not gonna be competitive although you know certainly you have these bird rights that are available on looney and cousins to some degree and jordan bell where you know that wouldn't be available next summer when you're trying to fill out this team around two guys coming back from taking a whole year off and you know everyone being older they would have to bring back Draymond green next year also uh who's you know we can talk briefly about his potential extension as well but holy shit man i mean that is just an incredible amount of money and yeah if you're going to compete for a championship in that season it's worth it but you know this is getting to the point you know we can call certain owners cheap or whatever but like you know that's like oh bucks you don't want to go into the tax and and pay an extra 20 million dollars a year this is like hundreds of millions of dollars we're talking about and built around players who aren't probably going to see the floor at least for most of next year maybe not at all and it's worth mentioning also considering some of these obligations especially clay and kd would be multi-year that the warriors don't have that much coming off their books after the 1920 season iguodala's 17.2 draymond but they uh, the has to be that they're going to try, at least try to re-sign him Livingston but we sh- and we could talk about so living actually I'll just do that now Livingston his full guaranteed amount would be 7.7 million but he's only partially guaranteed for 2 million until June 30th my expectation is that they will either try to find using like a trade exception or something find a place to, to dump that or they can just wave and stretch it it would make a significant financial difference if they trade him I think that would be preferable the only downside there is that they wouldn't be able to bring him back next season for any reason you know it's the Zydrunas Ogalskis rule and it would be possible if he were amenable to it it's possible with Bogut as well to see the Warriors do some of those approach too. what they did with Andrew Bogut this past year which is you don't play at all you know maybe well Bogut played in Australia obviously you don't play in the NBA at all for most of the year and then you sign a deal and bef- when you're eligible for you know for the rest of the year and all that kind of stuff and I could see that I could see them being interested in that with somebody like Livingston but you can only do that if you you 
cut the player or you know if you trade them and that team immediately cuts them you can't bring them back for that league year yeah and one it's a very similar transaction to what philly and the wizards just did with jonathan simmons and there aren't that many destinations out there especially if if livingston is going to hew to that 630 guarantee date they could agree to push that back just him doing them a, a favor potentially if in fact you know his plan is to retire uh looney we talked about his market before ethan strauss did a piece saying he thinks it'll be in the three to five million range i mean maybe it's higher because he's had had a nice playoffs but still for any backup center who's not a starter you know it's tough to see and we just saw aaron baines for example was treated as negative salary by the celtics and sent to the suns and he's was had opted into 5.6 this year and you know baines looney probably similar quality of players you might say but you know looney might have more versatility later in the playoffs baines maybe more as a regular season player he could shoot the three a little bit um you know unclear how many minutes a game looney can play either you know he can't step in as a starter whereas baines could on certain teams so i'm not sure that there is still more than like a five million a year offer for looney the number of years uh, would be interesting potential player options might be interesting as well but uh that that'll be certainly a concern let's turn now to a, a different scenario which is really how you have to kind of look at this kd leaves clay thompson returns on that max starts at 32.7 million they're able to move on from livingston you know maybe a future second round pick or cash or whatever so so you get off of his two million you still have andre iguodala on the team that would put you with nine players so you bring back mckinney so you bring back bell at something relatively close to the minimum no cousins yet you're at 12 million dollars over the cap and you'd have about 11 million dollars in tax room if they wanted to use that full mid-level exception 9.2 million dollars they would be hard cap at the apron still would be in the tax of course and they would have basically 17 million to work with below the apron so you use that full mid level and then uh you know maybe you could bring back looney for five million and you're getting pretty close to the hard cap which you can't go over for any reason at that point maybe they could get some extra wiggle room by just moving jacob evans or damian jones which uh, could open up some more room there uh, below the tax uh, as well or and below the apron that could get you to 19 million below the apron so you'd probably have room for looney and the full middle level exception under under that scenario you might also but there's really if clay comes back to the third 2.7 million getting out of the tax completely this year would be impossible almost certainly unless they were to just move Andre Iguodala and maybe they just decide again hey you know what it's not worth it here and maybe you could see them moving Iguodala in a scenario where they bring back Clay and and KD as well just to save so much you know you uh, moving Iguodala in that scenario would save you like a hundred million dollars and you just say hey this is Andre's last year we're kind of giving up on being good this year um you could also maybe just see Iguodala getting moved at the trade deadline if it's just just not working out for them as far as playoff aspirations and it looks like katie and clay aren't coming coming back even if they've resigned but they're not coming back to play next season then holding on to andre and paying an extra 100 million bucks doesn't worth it all be nice to have him retire in a warrior's uniform but maybe not 100 million dollars worth of nice uh, there are a couple hypotheticals i want to run by you we'll start with yeah. one from friend of the show dan feldman he posed this to me on real jam radio which was if you if you're bob myers and kevin durant says the only offer i would accept this summer from you is a one plus one so meaning one year then a player option after that would you be willing to extend that offer to durant no no i wouldn't do it uh because it's just like if you're not going to commit at this point they went through all this crap with him last year the idea of just paying a hundred million dollars in tax
backs and not only that but making your team having your team have no chance of being competitive next year either if you bring him in right this these other scenarios we're starting to explore here maybe clay comes back in february and he's like close to himself by the playoffs and maybe you could win at least win a couple of playoff rounds probably won't win a championship but then you at least have the ability to build in a a run in whether it's bringing back cousins looney the disabled player exception for clay or making a a trade that takes on some salary you know maybe maybe you could aggregate together evans and jones and throw in some future draft assets and get back somebody who can play i mean you by taking kd back this year you're basically punting on this year and then to have you could either be stuck with him again next year if like you know the rehab just doesn't work or he gets injured again or you know on the plus one and there's just other than just pure guilt for this achilles thing which you know who knows how much guilt they themselves should feel as opposed to kd and his doctors and all that so you know how to apportion that is something that we don't have a good idea of right now but no i i wouldn't do it there's i i mean because what's the point like if you if katie wants to be there he'll sign for longer at this point he's been there for three years what's going to change between now and next year for katie that he doesn't know already about the warriors then he's gonna leave i mean like what about him demanding a one plus one gives you any assurance that he would come back again the next year and that's exactly where i fell on it the end is just the if he's not willing to commit then you can let another team pay him the 30 million the 38 million for next year yeah okay now now a two plus one yeah i might start to think about that yeah and, and especially because in that circumstance you would get a little bit more certainty and then maybe and this is there's been some reporting about this that theoretically if let's say he doesn't want to be there maybe you could next summer do some sort of trade and then you probably wouldn't get full value back but you get something for him and and because the warriors have so little flexibility moving forward even if you just create a giant trade exception you can use a giant trade exception for a bunch of different things and that's you would the Myers would have more to work with I talked about this in my depth of sign and trade piece a little bit they would have more to work with than like let's say the Thunder did when Durant left them with nothing because they didn't get a trade exception or anything like that okay second thing uh, well, well here, I got a couple of more points on that another thing that's been discussed I think it was Windhorse who put this out there is the idea of KD returning on a five-year back so we could get that fit year which maybe i think probably should be important to him at this point in time and that's a 50 million dollar year and you know at age 34 35 you have no idea how the rest of his career is going to evolve at this point in time and then that either if he wanted to be traded they could accommodate him as early as january 15th and get potentially a trade exception or get other players in advance or just get some kind of value and kd gets that fifth year so he gets something out of it they get something out of it in theory uh they would still have to pay a bunch of tax presumably because you're not going to just offload 38 million dollars during the season and not take anything back but it might be worth it uh, to them to get some assets in return for kd as well in a trade kd doesn't have to commit somewhere now that who knows how the landscape looks in that location when he's actually able to return a year from now he would have more information about where he was going so that that i mean it seems a little too complex and there'd have to be a lot of faith among the parties uh, as well there but it does seem like something that they maybe could do and then the other scenario too which uh, Kevin Pelton has been talking about is you know let's say he goes to the Nets or the Knicks the Clippers probably wouldn't be as willing to indulge this because the Clippers would be competing directly with the Warriors but just to do it as a sign and trade where you know maybe the Warriors take back a little bit of something from the, the Nets or Knicks uh, who either salary that they don't you know they could take back Frank Nilakina from the Knicks or something like that or the Warriors could provide a future enticement in terms of draft picks or cash or whatever to turn it into a sign and trade so that 
they could still get that giant trade exception uh, going forward here and have space uh, to add to their team in the future so that's that's another thing. if kd says yes i'm leaving nets or knicks and it's been reported that those two and the clippers are the ones uh, that he's considering in addition to the warriors nets or knicks here's an asset or we'll take back some bad salary from you and now we get this giant trade exception going forward you know i, I would pay a fair amount actually if i were the warriors to get that trade exception especially if they think that the disabled player exception is unlikely because a trade exception and that trade exception would be more versatile than a dpe because you could get a player on a multi-year contract theoretically because a, a dpe right. has to be a player in the last year no options no nonsense just last year that's that's the whole idea and a trade exception could be split up and all that kind of stuff so yeah i think i think that's it's an interesting idea to be sure and and in the clippers case it could just depend i i agree with you that they but if if it's theoretically possible for the warriors to put something together to make it worth their while though i agree with you that it's unlikely okay the other thing so there are two other brief things i want to discuss one is due to the warriors constraints as another general manager, would you be treating Quinn Cook and Jordan Bell, both of whom are, are restricted free agents this year, differently? Like, would you probably be treating them kind of in a way like unrestricted free agents just because of how much they would cost the Warriors by matching? Well, by July 6th, you should they should probably know whether KD is coming back or not. And then I think, you know, it, uh, most if I were the Warriors, I would match reasonable offers for uh, Bell or Cook, but I'm probably higher on them than the Warriors are, frankly. Um, and I think both of those, can, can, guys can be pretty solid backups uh cook in particular you know, i think would fit pretty well on a lot of teams it's just a backup point guard who can guard his position okay at least in the regular season and you know is a very solid shooter can create some shots off the bounce as well to some degree uh and play off of a, another more ball dominant player and, and still have some scoring ability. I mean, there's a lot of teams that could use somebody like like cook and i think just because the warriors had a lot of other options in the wing obviously they had steph curry and cook and curry it was really difficult to play those guys together and the Warriors are playing late in the playoffs and they need more defensive options I mean Cook certainly has limitations that was obvious in the Raptors series but uh can also come in and hit some big shots at times so if you're more of a lower rung team I think he has value and uh, Bell you know I think could very easily be a a, uh, a starting backup center <laughs> um uh, on a lot of teams so and I think his versatility for a playoff team would be good although I, I do think that switching is not as important as it was a few years ago because in part because the Warriors aren't going to be the team that everybody's trying to shoot down anymore. Um, Here's the last one. And this is the one that I've been grappling with for the last week, which is the logical extreme of of the punting the upcoming season question, which is this. If the Warriors felt that they were not willing to give, for whatever reason, Draymond Green his next contract, maybe that could, like the contract that he's probably going to get on the open market. So let's call it a four-year, a four-year 30% max. Let's say that's the offer that will be on the table from t-max yeah and i think considering that there's gonna be a lot of space open next summer that it's a crappy free agent market and you know you look at al horford al horford you know they're talking about four for 112 is the offer that's out there for him from mystery team x right now uh you know i think draymond despite the fact that he's older does better than that if everything goes right like i mean he his value could go way down on just a shitty warriors team that doesn't make the playoffs and his defense doesn't look nearly as awesome because there's just nobody else good around him or 
you know, he just continues to shoot it really poorly from three, or he looks more like early season Draymond instead of late season Draymond due to injury or weight gain or whatever. Uh, you know, and he's not capable of playing the way we saw him play in the playoffs this year over an entire regular season, which I think might be possible at this point in time. So his value could end up being lower than the max. I mean, that's the, the upside for him, but there is a significant downside, I would say, as well. I agree with you on all that. But then the question that comes from that is if the Warriors, let's say it's kind of like there's some reporting out there with the Clippers and Tobias Harris, where it's like, you know, he's a good player, but you don't want to give him that contract that somebody else is going to throw at him. Let's say that's the case. And the Warriors now, because of these injuries, are maybe not punting in full, but at least punting in part the 1920 season. Do you consider trading him just to recoup value, not necessarily saving money, but because that the, the acquiring team gets his full bird rights and gets use of him for the 1920 season? And unusually for the Warriors, he could provide them more utility than the Warriors because they're not going to be at the same place. Hmm. Oh man, I don't think so. I, I think it, it's he was so good in the playoffs this year. Now, if he played the way he played early in the regular season all year and in the playoffs, I might be more inclined to go in that direction. But I mean, he still looked like the best defensive player in basketball in the playoffs, and his passing is still really good. His ability to push the ball is still really good, and he has a unique value to this team because he really helped his playmaking helps unlock Steph and Clay's off ball game, all those backdoor cuts and all that shit. So I'm, uh, I still think with Steph and Clay both in the fold, he's so valuable to what they do. It's just impossible for me to. You'd say, okay, we're gonna trade him, we might lose him for nothing, but it's impossible for me to envision this Warriors group being a contender into the future without him. Now, if KD comes back, maybe that that makes you think you're more likely to do it almost. But if KD leaves, I mean, you like you need your, a third star, and you're just you're not gonna find someone like Draymond Green going forward here. I mean, building your team around Steph and Clay, like your your defense is just gonna be a massive problem with them going forward. So um to be clear, also he will be eligible for an extension. The numbers on that would be four years and about a hundred million dollars is the most that he could get during the season. Doesn't seem like a Rich Paul type of move to sign something like that when you know Draymond, especially if he makes an all NBA team this year, you know, could be eligible for up to over 220 million next summer. And even so would be just the normal five-year deal would be five years 200 million or so now worth noting that if you want to compare the four years there you know with this extension to what he could get on a four-year deal in free agency next year that's still 155 million versus 100 million is the certainty of getting that deal now for a guy who's undersized and you know maybe slowing down a little bit is that worth 50 million dollars plus i mean you're you're giving up the upside too of a potential five-year deal for golden state even if he doesn't get the full max you know you could come in on a five-year deal well under that over 200 million dollars and still have a very nice payday for him compared to the 100 so my guess would be that he's not going to take that uh the 100 i if i were him i'm more risk averse probably than a lot of these guys certainly than rich paul uh i might consider it but it's definitely a question mark uh i i, I the warriors should offer him that extension and we'll see whether uh, in fact he's interested in it or not but this is one of the last of those pre cap explosion contracts where you can't quite go as high as you need to in an extension to make it make sense wow we're spending a lot of time on these guys but there are so many permutations it's kind of difficult um let's talk a little bit i think about just what other players might be out there for them briefly i mean you know whether it's the mini mid-level uh maybe the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception maybe a disabled player exception guy that you can sign but i mean they clearly just need shooting and defense on the wing i mean that that it's always been the case for them they haven't prioritized that as much but you know who which names are out there 
there and what their price range is you know trevor ariza is probably outside their price range i'm guessing damari carroll is probably outside of their price range you know james ennis maybe could be a thought garrett uh, temple yeah yeah he he might be outside their price range too although he seems like someone who might get a little undervalued uh i could see i i think it would be below his below my it's my expected value but west matthews like because the interesting question for the warriors is just the op the opportunity that they are going to offer is extremely unusual and so you could see a player who slides through the cracks a little bit just say hey i'd rather do that so like maybe west matthews is there i don't expect jeremy lamb to get that to i think he'll get something better but he's an option as well yeah i mean the the good news for the warriors is yeah there's a lot of money out there but because so many guys took one-year deals there are players who you know might be able to come in and just like not kill you i mean because they need a starting two and a starting three for next year i mean that and they have very very little uh, to do that with you know alfonso mckinney is their only wing for next year under contract i assume at a non-guaranteed 1.6 million guaranteed date of uh, january 10th the league-wide cutdown date that he'll be back uh because he gave them some decent minutes yeah i mean this is this is why i think it's so important to me for them to just get off of evans and jones if they can just to get a little bit more room uh if assuming that katie leaves and maybe you you could have enough room then to use the full uh well and, and there's another reason why it's really important which is that the warriors are going to need more from their minimum roster spots than before and so that yeah. means they'll need more bites of the apple and those minimum contracts become more significantly more valuable than those players because presumably those minimum the minimum guys willing to take the warriors money are actually going to play and so that's a better sales pitch and that means you're going to need better players Amon shumpert might be someone that they could look at it as well uh reggie bullock might be outside their price range we'll see uh you know small forward is really the bigger issue i think shooting guard they can do okay there to get someone who can come in but i mean somewhat i won't say the beauty of their situation but because they're just in a situation of like shit we need guys to like get us over 500 so we can make the playoffs they don't have to be as stringent about like ah this guy can't play against houston forget him you know it's just hey someone can give us some minutes here on uh you know and not kill us in your average regular season game that's a much lower standard i could actually see uh going lower on the totem pole this could be a jr smith destination after he gets waived most likely by cleveland yeah i could actually see the warriors getting in the mix for a series of different stretched wave type of guys just maybe they want they want that sort of opportunity on a on a team and like maybe i don't think he's a perfect fit but ryan anderson i could see that as a possibility yeah. as well troy daniels i yep. mean now i mean it's part of the interesting thing that they could do is they just say hey we still got steph curry we're just going to go all offense and if we just put shooting around steph curry and draymond green yeah we might we might not be able to stop anybody but you're not going to stop us either and that's how you make it into the playoffs i could absolutely see that and they could also even just get more capable ball handling guards with the idea of when steph curry is not on the floor going more with a carlisle style approach i could see that too just roll the dice on a couple of those yeah yeah just a normal backup point guard i mean how the hell do they score when curry's off the floor next year i mean just someone who can run a pick and roll on this team i mean you might have to just split up draymond and steph some although they're a great combination but you might have to split those guys up so draymond can just run things on the second unit if they don't get a traditional pick and roll option as a backup point guard so yeah i mean just overall scoring they desperately need as well just someone who can jack up some some shots on the second unit they got a lot of needs i mean they had such a lack of depth outside of clay kd and stuff that i mean we saw it obviously against toronto but you know even going through a regular season they just having those three guys papers over so many issues and you know maybe andre Iguodala starts at the three next year but i don't think they're going to want to do that to him and, uh, and even know. if he starts i don't think they're going to want to play more than 
than like 26, 28 a game. Yeah, I mean, he was less. like they tried to keep him at 30 in the playoffs, and those were like, you know, must have games. I mean, it, it, I, yeah, 25 minutes a game seems like the most he could handle. All right, are we done with these guys here? Finally? <laughs> yeah, I, I <laughs> think, yeah, I I mean, think it's are. really, I mean, this is one of, we've never seen a situation like this before with all these crazy permutations and the injuries and just the, the money that could be tied up in guys that you know aren't playing. I mean, it's really just an insane situation. Should Isaiah Thomas could be a good fit with this group to just come in off the bench at the minimum and like hey we just need you to create some 51 percent true shooting percentage shots just so we're not going to completely drown offensively when steph's off the floor yeah and and i think one other this can be the closing point here is i'm fascinated to see who leaves money on the table to join the warriors because it's a very different circumstance you're probably not ring chasing if you're going to the warriors this year but the opportunity that will be presented you know you could see players just want to have that chance and i don't have a calibration yet on it but i'm i think that's going to be really important. so it's about five years ago now that mattress delivery companies started really changing the industry and so i tried one of those companies when my wife moved in with me before we were married needed to upgrade from a queen to a california king and so the first one we tried was one size fits all and man was that a complete bust we had to return it we both got back pain we hated but i still thought the concept is really good like cut out the mattress store where you can't tell anything anything you you just lay on your back for 30 seconds with your shoes on and you're supposed to be able to decide whether you want a mattress like that's that's useless and you got to pay for all of their overhead so my wife decided she's gonna give helix sleep a try this is before i'd ever heard of the company i just started the podcast at this point we each did their two minute sleep quiz and they matched a mattress to our body type and sleep preferences and they sent us a customized mattress within a week and it has been the best sleep of our lives ever since then no more back pain totally comfortable if our sleep preferences hadn't been compatible they even could have split it down the middle with one side matching each of our preferences they have a 10-year warranty you can try it out 100 nights risk-free which we did and then obviously we've kept it we now have three helix sleep mattresses one at my wife's parents and we're not the only ones to love helix sleep in 2019 they were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick by both gq and wired magazine if you don't love helix sleep for some reason after that 100 nights they'll even pick it up for you and take it away but that's not going to happen because it's going to be perfectly customized to your sleep preferences right now helix is offering up to 125 dollars off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash cap space that's 125 dollars off all mattress orders up to 125 dollars off all mattress orders i should be clear on that at helixsleep.com slash cap space don't forget the slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right let's turn to the nba champion toronto raptors and of course everything there depends on if Kawhi leonard returns there are photos of him buying moving boxes at a local home depot that people were freaking out about uh but i think we could start with with the assumption there's not that much if Kawhi returns then really your only two variables in addition to that are danny green who they have full bird rights on made 10 million dollars last year and then mark gasol whether he's going to opt in to his 26 million dollars or so for next year maybe you could see him opting out for a longer term deal but uh, and quickly if Kawhi does return there's been talk of him signing a one plus one which in theory would make some sense because 
so many contracts expire at the end of next year lowry and his 33 million ibaka and his 23 million expire i mean they really have nothing on the books for next year or the 2020 off season other than norm powell og ananobi and presumably pascal siakam and his cap hold which would only be seven million dollars so that's actually a potential reason danny we don't need to talk about siakam's extension there'll be plenty of time for that later but i think that's a big reason why i wouldn't expect him to necessarily extend because they could be looking at completely rebuilding this team and you know if he's going to get something near the max and an extension you know it's the same situation even more extreme as it was with devin booker this year where you're costing yourself basically over 20 million dollars in cap space by extending him now if in fact they're trying to rebuild this team and even even if you know Kawhi stays for more than a year they could have you know 40 50 million dollars in cap space next summer if they play their cards right you know with Lowry and Ibaka and potentially Gasol coming off the books uh so uh, all that the context here Danny Green what would your offer be to him uh, to bring him back age 32 but you know one of the best 3 and D wings shot 45 percent from downtown this year and remember the reporting is that he took less than some other offers that were on the table to stay in San Antonio and the contract that ended up being favorable enough that he got traded on it to Toronto and won, a, won another championship I you know at 32 I would be thinking more you know for for me it'd be if it's longer term more in the 15 million dollar a year range and then if it's shorter term I would ramp up more towards 18 to 20 but you know for like two years let's say like you could get more into that range especially with Toronto circumstance like if, if Kawhi comes back I would give him even more just for like next year and then maybe have some sort of either team option or lightly guaranteed or some, something like that to, that you could get out of it pay him more this season so that he can so that you can get some flexibility before how about you yeah it's a difficult question in particular because they have their own tax concerns with Gasol and Leonard and his 32.7 million for next year which is what he's going to get it as the max on the books they're looking at a 25 million dollar tax payment already with only 10 guys assuming they hold on to Malcolm Miller and Chris Boucher who both have nine guarantees for next year at the minimum so you're looking at a pretty big dollar for dollar increase for whatever you bring green back for you might also want to say let's go a little bit longer term with him that might increase his trade value for the future if we do need to do a, a reset or just hope he's a valuable player now green is not as good as he looked last year he's not going to shoot 45 percent on threes again very likely but he and he struggled the year before that due to that groin injury that may or may not have been misdiagnosed in san antonio i mean that's tough like you, you and i both value green more just because again he's one of these guys who doesn't have huge weaknesses other than his ability to put the ball on the floor but he, you know that's not that easily exploitable because he can shoot threes he does run in his circumstances where if he's not hitting shots it becomes a lot more difficult to play him but teams aren't going to just leave him open either so you know it, he's one of these guys where like when it goes bad for him it can look really bad like in the the philly series and part of the the milwaukee series and then at times in the finals but another game he goes six for ten from three i mean i would go you know in the 50 or 60 million dollar guaranteed range from even considering his age just because there just aren't players out there like that i mean it, you know he could he could also play the three on some other teams he doesn't only have to play two and you know really being able to guard most ones through fours that ability may wane as he gets older to be sure his ability to play a lot of minutes may wane as he gets older but man i mean there just aren't players out there like him you know, there just aren't to, who can shoot over 40 percent from three and defend multiple positions pretty well so i mean that that's what it comes down to you know he's not the greatest player but he fits so many places he's gonna have a lot of offers you would think you know i mean the you know do the lakers go 20 million a year for him no and i would be surprised if you see even on a one-year deal it get quite to that level so i'm expecting it to be more in the 40 to 50 million dollar guaranteed range for him you know maybe on a three 
year deal. I, I mean, I've really started thinking about it more just in terms of the overall guaranteed money, and you can kind of stretch that out over as many years as you want to. Uh, it's not that's not a perfect formula, but probably the easiest way to talk about these at times. So yeah, I mean, my offer to him, you know, probably three years, forty five million, something like that. I mean, they also the good thing for the Raptors is they have Powell and they have Van Vliet. You know, they have other options for him if he leaves. A lot of other teams don't. He may be more valuable to some other teams than he is to the Raptors, especially if Ananobi can come back and and play reliable minutes. They don't necessarily overlap in terms of position, but because of all the other players that the Raptors have on roster, you can kind of think of it as a little bit more amorphous. I think it yeah. is fair for them. And well, the other reason to bring him back too is that Kawhi, I'm sure, will be on the load manage once again. Yes, absolutely. Well. Yeah, and and for me, Kawhi, and th- th- actually, I guess that we can use this as a transition. I think this is we're talking about before we get into Gasol. But, which well, is, re- real quickly on, on Danny Green. Sure. So if if they give him that 15 million dollars a year that I'm talking about, that would increase their tax payment from 25 million dollars to 73 million dollars. So yeah, you see you see where uh, again where where this uh, and, and they have a ton of money, more money than God is how someone has described them to me recently i can't remember who that was uh maple leaf sports and entertainment but still i mean that is a lot of money to be spending uh, for someone like him now they did just win the championship if Kawhi comes back presumably there'll be an understanding that they're going to continue to spend so maybe you know but but that that is a potential idea of like okay maybe now we'll go four years 40 million instead of three years 45 just to hold down the annual tax payment a little bit and green is someone i think can still have value as a backup you know on the end of that even if it'll be an overpay when he's 36 years old 35 years old making 10 a year too much but you know 10 million dollars a year is not that's a movable contract in today's day and age okay so the question i was getting to beforehand is how does toronto's willingness to spend shift based on Kawhi leonard leaving for me it would be significant for a player like danny green because toronto at that point if if Kawhi leaves you're effectively getting zero in compensation for him so they do have other players that can replace it but danny green's even if the cost of Danny Green drops significantly because of the luxury tax reduction. I just think that especially going multiple years out, it's it, you can lean into the flexibility that is already created by Lowry, Ibaka, and Van Vliet all lining up. Yeah, if Kawhi leaves and OG can come back, they would desperately need to get you know one more scorer, but they should have, if Kawhi leaves, they're looking at being about $4 million over the cap, so they'd have the full non-taxpayer to work with. They would have $25 million below the apron, so you could probably bring back Green and use the full non-taxpayer, as well as the that Gasol uh, has opted in and I, I'm, I'm the more I think about it the more I expect that he will just because I don't see necessarily the landing spot for him oh so I, I, I forgot yeah. to bring this up so th- yeah. for me you you brought up a lot of the good structural reasons for for Kawhi to take a one plus one you know looking at where the Raptors are going but I think the single strongest reason why is because there isn't a, a place that he can play for the 1920 season that gives him as good of a championship as as uh, the reloaded Raptors would you know like he could go to the Clippers and if let's say he knows he wants to be there or with the Lakers or somewhere else for the long term by all means you can do it that way have a greater voice in their personnel process over these next couple years but if let's say he wants to see where those teams go you might as well take that year your evaluation year on the best possible team and that team is the record yeah and they've also shown the ability to keep him healthy Clippers have made some big investment in their medical staff as well but yeah as you look at what that Clippers team would look like if they get him you really you wonder still how they're going to stop anybody to be a championship level of 
solid defense even if they would have you know i mean that would be a nasty offensive team to be sure but you know with harrell as your center you know maybe they bring back zubach the gallo is the starting power forward next to Kawhi. like you're, you're unless they get someone else really awesome defensively in free agency and maybe move on from gallo at the same time you know they get al horford now you're talking a little bit maybe defensively but yeah i still don't see how i mean this raptors this raptors defense is one of the greatest defenses of all time in the playoffs this year like, i think people don't understand that of like what they did to some of these really good offenses in the playoffs i mean i, th- I think ben taylor had this that they and now the warriors of course that had injuries but that even before that you know the bucks they shut them down nobody had any answers for the bucks at all before that you thought they were completely unstoppable before they went up against this raptor but they held teams like you know nine points per 100 possessions i think below their offensive rating in the regular season i mean that's just you know one of the best playoff defense of all time so that's you know because it's defense i think people maybe don't give the raptors credit for just like how incredible of a team this was even from a historical perspective in the playoffs offensively it was a little bit of a different story at times so yeah i agree with you i mean i think no matter who the clippers get the raptors probably still give you a little bit better a chance um if they keep Kawhi, they're looking at the mini mid-level but if they keep Kawhi and danny green that you could see them maybe just not using that especially with an anobi coming back they could use you know one more kind of score but with the resources they have available that score could be a place to be attacked defensively and part of what made them so good was there just wasn't a place to attack defense so they could also they could also be a team that would save their mid-level and then just see what's available either on the buyout market or just if somebody gets hurt then eventually replace that player because they wouldn't need them at full strength they have so many good players yeah no that's i mean you could just say gasol and lowry and ipaco and green just due to their age could all just take a step back and you might need but but you've got powell and Siakam and Anobi and Van Vliet who presumably are on the way up so yeah I mean I would expect them to be the championship favorite next year if Kawhi returns you know we'll see what happens in, in Milwaukee but uh, well and Milwaukee has significantly more downside than upside because their whole goal their best case scenario is retaining everybody or close yeah. to everybody and, that, and that's different than the Raptors because the Raptors you know they're probably not going to get much better but the Raptors also beat the Bucks without home court so yeah yeah I, I think that's important and that can be a lead-in a little bit to Marcus his situation for me is is fascinating tactically so at 34 years old he has a 25.6 million dollar player option and the kind of Machiavellian idea of thinking about this is just what is the money you could think of a three-year period so 2019 through 2022 would you make more with that option plus two years of free agency or opting out now and signing a contract either a single contract or multiple over that time because basically getting the commitment now and that 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 rings true for me on that approach I would say Gasol probably makes more opting in and then signing because there just isn't that much money for centers I think especially kind of centers in his range this yeah, year yeah i mean but you know he's also at an age where and especially with his offensive game you know his really his inability to really do anything in the post anymore like some of his finishing around the rim like he he might just kind of be done after next year yeah you know, so it, it, yeah it, but i think it's even possible like so i don't know exactly what his market is going to be as an unrestricted and theoretically he wields more leverage over the raptors because of the importance he had in the whole playoff run including in the finals which was shocking to me he did a yeah. great job in the finals so maybe that that's another ring but the other complication and this is what depending on how financially motivated Gasol is is the idea that opting out because of Kawhi Leonard's decision timing gives him more flexibility if being on a winning team is more important as important however as the money maximization because if he commits to the Raptors and then Kawhi Leonard leaves then he's on a less 
viable team. Maybe he could accept a buyout later in the year or something like that, but he's more committed to them at that juncture. If he opts out, then he the world is his oyster, and so kind of like it looks like Al Horford is going to look around, Gasol becomes an interesting player on that on that market. So uh, part of the opt-in, op- opt-out decision for him is where he falls in the free agent hierarchy does he even want to leave i would guess that he probably doesn't anywhere else he's going to go you're not going to have as good a chance of winning a championship he, he's starting there he's a, a major part of the offense obviously and and essential to what they're doing defensively particularly in a matchup against philly going forward now if Kawhi is going to leave i mean he, the, part of his problem is he may not know what Kawhi is going to do when he has to make that opt-in or opt-out decision at the end of june so but if you look at the overall market al horford nick vucevic gasol brooke lopez demarcus cousins Dwayne Dedman I mean there's actually a lot of pretty good starting centers on the market and there definitely are not I think that number of slots for guys to make more than the mid-level exception by signing with another team and if any of those free agent center desiring teams trade for a center then the the chair reduces by one probably like let's say theoretically James Hammond this had had a piece to kind of talking about this idea if the Kings traded for Steven Adams well then all these centers get even more screwed because that doesn't open up a slot in OKC because they don't have the capacity to pay guys and the Kings then aren't aren't paying a free agent center well another interesting thing too is that you know I think Horford is clearly at the top of that heap but depending on where you are as a team you can talk yourself into Vucevic Gasol or Brooke Lopez and possibly even DeMarcus Cousins as being the most desirable to you out of that group particularly when you consider that as you go down that spectrum certain players aren't going to cost as much but you know hard for me to see you know Gasol versus Lopez as a very interesting question in particular those guys would be competing against each other so getting an idea you know if brooke lopez goes back to milwaukee then there's other places for gasol but i think you know he's gonna have to just i think you just opt into the 26 million because i don't see him getting more than you know you could maybe see him getting two years 30 million on this market maybe with like a non-guaranteed year on the last year you know, or a partial guarantee on the last year so when you're making 25 next year probably doesn't really make much sense and then you also consider too just how much money is going to be out there next year as well uh and the p- potential of coming back here you could opt out and always go back with the raptors too but again you wonder and that assumes that Kawhi is leaving another interesting scenario is gasol opts out leonard doesn't come back they actually would have 20 million in gas space to work with too I mean, that's that's another thing to consider if they wanted to try and find a way to reload i mean they could still be right smack dab in the middle of the east playoff picture next year and hope that pascal siakam can be your star and that you still build it around a really nice defense also i mean you're not a championship contender anymore but you still keep this group around and then you still have another chance to really reload again uh, the following summer that's another possible scenario as well if gasol just wants to move on yeah my instinct is that the best decision for him is opting in and i i expect him to do that as well also because i think he's happy in the situation and that makes it easier to opt in you know you're not you're not dealing with the you know you're getting paid more than probably well in the open market in a place that you like to be you just i mean he just won his first championship so yeah that's what that's what i expect as well yeah and there's a chance that it doesn't work out as well but especially considering as you said the market forces that are in play i think it's the right decision well if Kawhi comes back i think there's i mean it's just it's too bad for that nobody's going to know what Kawhi's going to do it sounds like he's going to take a bunch of meetings and stuff so it's going to be a few days in a free agency before we know so it'd be nice if you if you're the raptors and you could say hey mark opt out and if Kawhi comes back you know we'll pay you three years 45 million and we can really lower our tax bill for this year by say 
saving that $10 million on his salary if Kawhi comes back and then maybe we can use the non-taxpayer mid-level or I'm sorry the taxpayer mid-level well well and what would be interesting if they could pull it off and it's a matter of trust and numerous other things is they could even do do that idea and say if Kawhi Leonard leaves we'll pay you the exact amount of your player option so then Gasol's not taking the same kind of risk yeah that that might be be something that would make a lot of sense too although I mean that's a big to give up 20 million dollars in cap space in this year true to do that but yeah I mean you could say hey if they're, they're going to hold on to Lowry and you know all that I mean and also Lowry I mean after having won the championship you have to imagine that you know Lowry retiring as a Raptor is something that everyone would really want to have happen especially after what happened with DeRozan to just have one guy who kind of I mean obviously he didn't start in Toronto but makes it all the way through uh and still a very effective player as well and you could see him maybe you know Lowry coming back as to still be a, a quality starting point guard in this new iteration of the Raptors beyond next year but so much of course depends on Kawhi and, and we don't know that uh anything else you want to hit on these guys well we should just mention the other decisions they have briefly Patrick McCaw is a restricted free agent they have non-bird rights on him if they even extend a qualifying offer we don't know if they will Malcolm Miller is totally non-guaranteed until July 20th Chris Boucher is 125,000 guaranteed until the first day of the regular season I would expect Boucher to be back Miller uh, that'll probably yeah. be a judgment he was, call he was one of the best players in the G League yeah. this year they, they have developed guys so well at that Raptors 905 they have and, and and Miller it might be more of like a summer league determination you know if he plays well there and, and I, I've liked generally speaking what I've seen from him so I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back Jeremy Lin is an unrestricted non-bird after he signed with them having been bought out by the Atlanta Hawks we'll see what else on t- I don't expect him to be back I think he'll have a better offer but you know maybe he liked it I mean he did win his did win a championship that's pretty awesome and then another small thing I don't expect this to be super relevant but the Raptors do have a series of small trade exceptions and small trade exceptions generally are not super valuable in terms of straight up trades but they can be really nice for claiming guys off waivers so they theoretically they could use that let's say a player is of of import to them and is is on a small contract instead of having to like trade for them or something else you could just pick them up and granted the Raptors are gonna have a low waiver priority but could be used for that purpose if there's somebody they like let's move on to Houston here the subject of much discussion at this point in time they really have five main players under contract who have been stalwarts for them the last couple years Chris Paul at 38 James Harden right around 38 Clint Capella 16.4 Eric Gordon 14 million PJ Tucker 8.4 million and then Nene eh, probably gonna opt into his player option of uh 3.8 million remember he couldn't get the four-year deal that they had initially agreed to a couple years ago because uh Houston's front office forgot about the over 38 rule or uh messed it up so but Nene is pretty limited at this point in time of his career he can give him something in in the as a backup center at times during the regular season uh i mean he even had some pretty nice moments against utah at time in the playoffs uh they also have isaiah hartenstein who is exactly 50 percent guaranteed until july 15th so they'll get a chance to evaluate him in summer league i mentioned they'll keep him around he he was uh awesome in the g league th- this year but you know there's not that many good big men in the g league but the hope is he could come in and give them a little bit more as a backup center uh this will be his third year in their system after playing a year in the g league and then last year was uh technically uh, his rookie year but spent a bunch of time in Rio Grande as well uh they've got Daniel House as a restricted free agent they do not have bird rights on him so they would have to dig into what would likely be the mini mid-level since they project to be in the tax next year unless some sort of a big cost-cutting move is made but you imagine they would like to bring him back he did fall out of the rotation against the Warriors but gave them some pretty effective minutes uh, for some time but certainly a team that wants to come with an 
an offer above the minimum for him or above 100 yeah because he he only signed for 247,000 last year uh but basically slightly above what his qualifying offer is and you could probably get him unless they want to break into the medium level and a four-year offer they literally could not match uh, in any way unless they uh get under to the non-taxpayer mid-level which uh eh, it seems might be possible to do but seems pretty unlikely to me they've as it sits right now with just what they they i'm projecting them to have in the books next year they are 12 million dollars below the apron and that's only with nine players so you're you might be able to use some of the mid-level depending on what that offer is uh, to match uh, on house we talked uh, this one will be a little shorter because we talked a lot about potential chris paul trades a few days ago when we were talking about some of the drama and vince goodwill's piece what sticks out to you uh, I, I mean the the trade options i guess you know you could capella is supposed to be pretty available as well another guy where i just don't see there being that much of a market for him in trade you know who are the teams that really like desperately need him at this point in time especially after a little bit more of a down year last year tough call yeah and additional context with what's going on with the warriors maybe they see this as as more of an immediate thing and and broadly speaking i would expect that a a trade involving those key five players you discussed at the outset most most trade conceptions i can think of with those guys make the rockets worse next year and that becomes less palatable now that the the pathway in the western conference appears to be more open now there are going to be other good teams but we don't know how good they're going to be and those teams probably are not going to be the golden state warriors so yeah it's nearly impossible in today's nba to trade a good player and get better like the and the raptors with Kawhi, you know unless that's in a trade for a better player yeah if you yeah we should say if you trade the best player in the trade and they are a good player it's very hard to get better yeah i mean and and the Kawhi, even the Kawhi situation was unique because san antonio had much different priorities than most of these teams that are trying to move superstars and DeRozan is already an all-star type of player in theory at least in the east so yeah I, i'm not and capella is also like a great fit in their system you know james harden loves him always there for uh, those alley-oops uh, from harden well and, and, against and as most we teams saw, he can switch and, and as we saw during during various moments of the season in the playoffs including capella missing some time due to injury during the season when they tried other guys in that like kenneth freed wasn't nearly as good at what clint capella does as clint capella and nene while I, I i think i like him more sometimes than d'antoni does they're limited too so if you think about okay moving capella and then having to find a center on the market even if you get the entire the full mid-level let's say they get the they get the non-taxpayer mle it's hard to expect them to get a center that provides the the unique value that capella does so again it's it's hard to see a move really overall net benefiting them yeah and tucker is another guy yeah he's a great value contract uh, maybe it, that might be one of the best ever contracts signed under the mid-level exception if not the best but he is uh, and it's fair to wonder whether he's going to take a step back or not next year i think he held his value impressively well this season but it, at his age you wonder especially the number of minutes he can play but again if they're still gonna uh, i mean the only way they're going to defend with james harden on the team is to still switch most of the time so you need those type of defenders and tucker falls into that category eric gordon same thing i mean how many two guards are capable of switching and he did a wonderful job like on donovan mitchell in the first round caused some problems for the warriors at times in the second round 
there's been all this talk about oh we got to change things up and who knows how much of that is just Tillman Fertitta raging because they didn't make his requested Western Conference Finals even though in reality they were the second best team in the West this season yeah in part because they lost that game to Oklahoma City yeah so I mean you move any one of these guys and you're really looking at completely changing the way that you have to play especially defensively and I don't know with James Harden on your team what your hope is defensively if you can't do a lot of switching with these kind of thick but mobile guys that they have so and and now with the Warriors demise running it back as was their ill-fated slogan last year makes a ton more sense and and how about you just don't sign Michael Carter Williams and Carmelo Anthony to start the season this year and you're right back at a 55-win team you're probably the favorite to be the number one seed in the West and actually using the full mid-level or whatever mid-level they have available would would be a huge benefit and that player could trust that they will get significant playing time and the Rockets have that have that capacity they also have early bird rights on Gerald Green even though he has a minimum capital minimum capital doesn't really matter for the Rockets and so yeah where they can go with that is is, is compelling my feeling as the team is currently constructed and who knows if it's still going to be that way is to go after forwards I mean, if you could find guys who can shoot, who teams have to respect their jump shot and can defend capably, ideally actively as well, that would be fantastic. Those players are exceedingly hard to find. Daryl Morey has done a very good job. I give him full credit. I mean, House gave them more than I expected. Even he didn't do that's on the playoffs. Gary Clark, who's also half guaranteed. I think generally speaking, he gave them more than I expected last year. And then Austin Rivers was was a big value add. And since he was just a, a you know minimum buyout guy, they would have to dip into the mid level exception if he wants to take more than the minimum to return to Houston. Yeah, and you might see, I mentioned that as of now going into the summer, most realistically, I expect them to have about $12 million between them and the apron, and that could complicate using the full $9.2 million mid-level exception because they would be hard-capped at the apron. But let's say you're able to move off of Nene somehow, whether via stretching, maybe get off of Clark as well. Now you're talking, you got a little more room. Now you got $15 million. Now you only got seven players under contract so yeah they probably still wouldn't be able to use the whole thing maybe they could use a little bit more than the mini mid-level but just to be safe i think you probably just use the mini mid-level still at that point you know the 5.7 million because when you're talking about i mean every if you just say hey every single roster slot is going to cost us a million dollars even that is you've got eight roster slots to fill and one of them takes up nine million you're basically right at that apron again so i I just i don't see unless they move one of those core five guys that we mentioned that i don't think they necessarily should move that it it wouldn't make sense to do that they also have the ability to bring back him on shumpert as well uh who the hell for full bird rights on uh you know i don't think he necessarily impressed in his stint there but um but anyway sorry i i I interrupt you but i wanted to just set the scene a little bit more and see whether if we're talking about guys they could get the full mid-level exception to be available it doesn't seem like it will be really under just about any circumstance i agree with you and houston can offer playing time and an opportunity but and, and maybe a chance in their closing five depending on on the construction here i mean we saw them try a bunch of different concepts throughout the playoffs but remember they're also probably not going to be facing the warriors again or at least not in the same leverage situations so let's say they have that you know 5.7 tax pyramid level to work with it's it's a tough market especially because a lot of the guys that are around are more in the two guard size range rather than a three four which is really what i would be looking for. yeah i mean i think it, they could benefit especially during the regular season for just having like a total bomb are available sure uh i mean and, and they could also think about using part of that to bring back austin rivers who i think was pretty solid for them yeah really helped them stabilize things um you know and it'll be interesting i mean they'll be competing a lot with the warriors for some similar
similar types of players but the warriors will be able you know if we were talking about the mini mid level the warriors will be able to offer a lot more playing time for those type of guys and might also be willing to offer a longer contract than the rockets would they also have early bird rights on gerald green another guy who you know played some in the playoffs was okay at times you know you'd think he's a decent use of a roster spot if he doesn't come too expensive i wouldn't see him getting much above the minimum but you know they could give him a little bit of a raise if that's what he wanted but what what kind of players any names come to mind here of like guys that you really think would be uh you, you know actually who i think would be a great fit here and maybe maybe all it would take to get him would be like the minimum or maybe like a one plus one at the minimum be stanley johnson i think he would or stanley johnson and justin anderson i think both of those guys strong yeah would and you know houston is a place where you get to shoot it with no conscience and yeah some guys have flamed out because they just couldn't hit shots but those guys are both strong guys good feet could fit right into their ability their switching system and and i think would be really nice places those guys could develop without as much pressure on them coming off the bench and just with the green light to shoot it whenever they want yeah it's an interesting idea this isn't a player on the forward line but somebody that i think would make sense for the rockets especially if his market is less robust than i would like it to be is noah vonley vonley i think he he has more untapped potential as a shooter as well given going back to his his background being more of a wing and can move his feet could be you know just like another piece in the uh, of the of the big man puzzle for them which i think would be worthwhile and it might be easier to get him than some of the other wings that are on the market i think they could consider somebody like wayne ellington i don't think he's like the perfect fit but he can shoot and could could help give them some spacing there Kevon Looney? Sure, absolutely. Uh, Similar I mean, idea he, to Vonley. I just think yeah. Vonley is going to be cheaper. Yeah, and Looney, I mean, maybe they could say, hey, you could potentially close games for us as our center, and it would, in theory, weaken the Warriors, although that's less of a concern. Jermichael Green, maybe, maybe Marcus Morris if his market is really, really limited. Yeah, I expect those guys to be uh, above what can be offered. I agree, but it's a possibility. Uh, and Houston, yeah. Houston has something to offer, especially both of those, like those guys, I think are good enough that they could say, you'll probably be a part of our closing five. Not definitely, but probably. Yeah, yeah. Damari Carroll again we talked about Carroll as it seems like he's gonna be one of these guys where he's gonna have eight offers but all of them like around the mid level old friend Trevor Reza they I don't think they have the scratch to bring him back especially with Washington talking about how they wanted to to get him back also yeah and then you know your traditional two guard types maybe don't fit into their system as much they also you know for guys who are gonna play when Harden's not on the floor you, you can go with the smaller guards I think they with Gordon and Paul you know you probably have enough when Harden is off the floor in theory it might be nice to have one more kind of traditional backup point guard option but that guy probably wouldn't play for you well, in the playoffs. well especially because Chris Paul is going to miss time at some point and so having somebody else who yeah, can this just in yeah, yeah somebody else who could handle the ball and that's you know like maybe like somebody like Raymond Felton I'm not saying he's a great fit but just somebody who would, would be cool with not playing every game but having some high leverage games over the course of a season yeah I mean if you look at their needs anyone who can play on the wing obviously backup center and maybe just one more ball handler but again they're to fit into their system you you need certain certain types of players you know george hill might be an interesting one for them although his market could exceed again what they would have to offer if his market completely collapses i think kcp could be a solid fit with this with this team but i mean i would hope he gets more than than five million a year but he he had a uh a tough actually not as tough of a year probably if you look at his overall stats but 
that he was one of those guys who just started off the year so poorly with the knee tendonitis and there's i think people have almost overreacted this oh he only got paid because he was with clutch you know i thought actually that 12 million a year was totally commensurate with what he had done the previous year so i think his star may have fallen a little bit more than necessary but he seems like one of these guys that we've liked too much compared to the rest of the league all right we're done with these guys yeah i think so so I realized actually that we forgot to talk about the trade that preceded the draft that came through very late on Wednesday night with Milwaukee opening up more cap space by moving that number 30 pick to Detroit. Later was flipped to Cleveland for $5 million in cash and four future second rounders uh, so Cleveland could draft Kevin Porter. But this trade was an interesting one. Tony Snell going to the Detroit Pistons, heading back John Luer, one of the uh, more star-crossed of the South our 16s really has had two lost years due to injury well i guess the second year of that contract was lost due to injury and last year he was just pretty much ineffective so what does this do in terms of the future money uh, before we talk about what the motivations behind the deal were one of the most striking things about this a lot of us expected the bucks to make a move to lower their burden for the 1920 season because you know clearing more space can open up more capacity to pay Brook Lopez or theoretically maybe space under the tax to re-sign all of their guys, you know, however you want to think about it. But this deal... As, as presently constructed, you know, as, as it sits right now, does more to save the Bucks money in 2020-21 than this upcoming season. Now, that can shift pretty significantly if management, John Horst, decides to stretch the final season of Lure's contract. They could extend, basically split that $9 million into three little chunks, and that would, you know, cut about $6 million off of their books. That's option is open to them. And, and, and the Bucks, even in this case, because the stretch deadline isn't for a little while, they can kind of play this by ear too. They can just wait and see if they need to stretch him. It'll see what Malcolm Brogdon gets paid, for example, or what Lopez needs or Chris Middleton, any of that kind of stuff. But as of right now, it's more savings for two for next season rather than the upcoming. Yeah, with Lewis' contract expiring at the end of next year, Snell's going on with a player option. Eh. Possibly you could pick that up for uh, that twelve point two million. So you get that off the books next year. And although Giannis's designated player veteran extension, should he agree to it next summer, wouldn't kick in until the 21-22 league year. So they're not looking at a huge increase other than just your normal increases of any contracts uh, that they would sign this year. It does open up that space for next year. It seems to me, though, that where this is headed is to just open up more room under the tax and just not have the punitive of stretching lure be as bad as it would be for Snell. You know, Snell it would have been stretching it over five years have about 24 million in salary total so you'd be looking at almost five million on your books for the next five years that's very very difficult to deal with if they do re-sign Giannis they're going to have some financial constraints obviously as well if you stretch lure you only got the three million on the books for the next three years the bucks by the way already have 3.8 million of dead money on their books this year with Spencer Hawes who they got in a brilliant trade to get off of Miles Plumley. where would they be if they hadn't been able to do that move uh and then larry sanders as well another guy who uh you know kind of wanted out of just being in the nba and, and took a significant reduction of that four-year 44 million dollar extension he signed years and years ago he's still on there for another three seasons going forward at, at 1.9 million just to, as a refresher uh, about their books so that seems where this is heading lure you know doesn't really provide any value on the court uh other than the potential hilarity of him playing over dj wilson and uh, buck's twitter suffering a collective aneurysm but 
aside from that i'm not sure that i really like the asset play here i mean also maybe you could also say that lure would be easier to move at the deadline uh if they want to save some tax money although of course they are out a number of first round picks going forward including now this year's but i'm not sure about how much they really got back here because i don't see snell as like completely dead money like i think he's actually gonna be a pretty useful player for the pistons next year right so the difference in salary over these two years between snell and john lure is about 14 million dollars and that means based on the current pricing you could go through numerous trades that have happened recently yeah the 30th pick is the worst first round pick but they basically like under the normal math they basically treated snell as completely dead salary and that is shocking because while i still like snell much better as a shooting guard than defending like i don't think he's great defending the biggest wings he can be a valuable rotation player depth is scarce at those positions he's you know his minutes have have waned since he started 80 games his first year in milwaukee and you know he still played in 74 this last year but down to about 18 minutes a game so i think he can be a rotation player the pistons have needed rotation depth on the perimeter for years now and so i think snell can be a part of it and depending on how seku works out especially considering he is so young they can you know it's just another piece in the rotation like i think of seku is more the idea of what they should want in a three but you could do a lot worse than tony snell so i really like this as a piece of business for the pistons and the pistons yeah. already you know, you know, i'd see snell as maybe you know a five million dollar a year yeah. type of player yeah and so if he's a five million dollar a year type of player then they did get off of some money but they didn't get off of nearly as much i mean it's more in the and and considering lure is close to all dead money then it's it's not as good of a value play there and then it's also notable this is one of those rare occurrences where the exact same asset gets moved twice in rapid succession so remember that the pistons didn't keep the 30th pick the pistons traded it for and we don't i don't think i've heard the specific terms yet but for four second round picks and five million dollars with from the cleveland cavaliers so i would say as an asset play the pistons did really well here they got a lot of cash they got i don't know how good those seconds are going to be maybe this is like the mirages trade where two of them are good and two of them are kind of bad could be a circumstance like that but still from their perspective i think they did a good job and i think tony snell is really going to help them now it does make the math a little bit tougher in terms of using the mid-level and retaining ish smith but tony snell is probably better or at least close to as good as who they would have gotten on the perimeter for the mid-level exception so you could think of it as that they kind of used it on this trade and picked up the 30th pick in the draft for their trouble yeah and if you're milwaukee maybe you could have gotten you know langston galloway and a slight a smaller piece instead of john lure i mean maybe that wasn't available to them but I mean, if you think about it again this is the worst of the fir- first round picks in what was supposed to not be a good draft so but the going rate has been about a million dollars in salary or i'm sorry 20 million dollars in salary million dollars i was wrong 20 million dollars in salary for one first round pick and yeah okay so maybe you could only expect to get 14 million dollars in salary which is what they took on here but that assumes that snell is totally dead money and in fact you know he, he's pretty useful to the business maybe there's not another team that wanted him maybe they just couldn't find another contract in this range well i can give my theory of how this happened is that the bucks knew that this pick has a the 30th pick in particular has a really strong drive it off the lot problem you know that it's a lot more valuable as a pick rather than a selected player and milwaukee they were probably going to have to move tony snell at some point but there weren't a lot of potential trade partners that knew they were willing to take on that long-term money right now and so it is correct that they you know like if they thought they were going to have to move at some point even if they over 
overpaid now, their options would have been more limited later when you think about the future obligations. So they have a they have two first round picks, one owed to Phoenix, one owed to Cleveland, out into the future. So it would have been a lot harder to make a Snell trade in mid-July than or even at the trade deadline than it was right now, despite the limitation in how many teams could have done this. Yeah, and it does lower the Pistons' 2021 space from about 32 million to about 20 million. That that is a concern. Now, where the Pistons in the summer of 2020, when there aren't that many max players out there anyway, going to be a contender to add a max player? Maybe not, but they could have added a couple of rotation pieces. Now they can probably only add one. You would think uh, with that amount of money. The, this and that assumes, of course, that uh, Andre Drummond opts into his 28.7 million dollars. So, yeah, I mean, this isn't terrible, and we'll see what the Bucks end up doing uh, with the extra space now whether they do in fact stretch lure if they need to or whether they can in fact get off of some of his money you would think a lot of it depends on what they're going to do with brooke lopez if they want to use cap space to re-sign him that is one consequence of this is just lowering the number from 11.4 million down to 9.5 million they now have enough space above the mid-level to where you can offer Brooke Lopez a little bit more than you could have. The, the mid-level is 9.2. I have him at $12.6 million in projected space. That includes the cap hold of Chris Middleton, cap hold of Malcolm Brogdon, and then non-guarantees for Pat Connaughton and Sterling Brown, both on there. So that does matter. I mean, that that extra $3 million could be a difference in whether you keep Brooke Lopez or not. And if there is another team that's going to come in above the mid-level that you now can be a little bit more competitive and then if you were to stretch lure you could open up even as much as 18 million dollars to bring back lopez and now you do that and you're going to run into tax concerns because middleton add 13 million above where his cap holds so now you've only got about 10 million left before you're into the tax for brogdon and brogdon is going to get a lot more than 10 million there's a lot of talk and chatter about how big time offer sheets could be coming for him like well above 15 million dollars a year like to the point where milwaukee might even start to blink at it i wouldn't do that (laughs) i think you probably got to just pay it but so i I think the ability to go above the mid-level now you can offer more you know if there is another team that's also doing the mid-level you're more competitive than that team if you know brooke lopez isn't giving you any kind of a home court advantage or you might be able to only go three years on lopez now rather than having to go four years of the full mid-level and lopez you know at 31 right now you don't want to be responsible for that last year so it does it's about the most important three million dollars you can open up unless you're just you know getting you your three million dollars short of having straight up max room and they've got more flexibility now for the stretch than if they did before so it, this does have value it's just a question of the 30th pick being maybe a little bit too much to give up there but we'll see i mean it's, it's just this has been a little bit of asset drain here from the bucks because remember they've already got another pick that's owed now to boston it used to be phoenix it from the arc Bledsoe trade then they owe another one two years after that to Cleveland from the dump of Del Vadova and Henson so just just really interesting to think about what the the market is here and we've seen some like the Farid pick you know that ended up going to the Nets at 27 but the thought was that that was going to be you know closer to 20 than 27 and the Nuggets overperformed unclear if they just knew that that was 27 they could have dumped all of uh, uh, Farid's money it was both Farid and Darrell Arthur by the way to clear so it was about 20 million uh, 
last summer. Anything else to say uh, on this one? No, I, I think that Pistons and Bucks fans who lamented that we didn't talk about this trade really did get their money's worth because we talked about it a whole <laughs> lot longer now than we would have on a dra- on the draft breakdown podcast where it would have been like a two minute probably aside. And it's an interesting deal. Like I, I, I'm happy we spent the time on it because this it gets into the decision making. One other quick thing, actually, I think the Pistons really got a benefit here of being honest about what they were going to do with their space. You know, because I'm sure other teams could say, "Oh man, like look at look at what we you know like we could do so many things with the mid level exception." All these things. They, I don't think they were going to do better than Tony Snow. So pretty good piece of business by them. And let's say for whatever reason they need to clear extra space next year, they could dump Tony Snell at that point, and there's a lot less bad money on his books, or they could even stretch him if they needed to. So I like this. I like this more from and it's why I don't evaluate trades. You know, winner and loser. I like it more from their perspective than the Bucks. But we'll have to see. It could end up, as you said, that that three million is exceedingly important, and this was the most reasonable way to do it on the time frame that was important yeah and for the pistons now have 12.5 million dollars below the tax with uh, 11 players uh, including uh Seca Dumbuya and Steve Michaeliuk who's uh non-guaranteed for next year we'll assume that, that he's going to be on the team again and their big need of course is backup point guard they do have full bird rights on Ish Smith so you imagine that will be the priority bringing him back within that 12 million dollars or so they have to work with under the tax you know if they can get him for say seven or so and who knows what the years are going to be on that or they can break into the full mid-level to try to get another backup point guard solution instead but i would be extremely shocked if this team pays the tax next year and and they did bring themselves that same three million dollars we were talking about close or i should say two million dollars closer to the tax all right uh speaking of tax sam presti was asked about reports that thunder are trying to lower their luxury tax bill they did not move the number 21 pick in a tax avoidance move as had been speculated but he did have this quote which said where we are right now we're not going to be able to sustain that over a very long period of time and that's an interesting one to me you know they are in the repeater tax whether that is just as an absolute they can't spend that much or whether that is well shit we're not spending this much to lose in the first round every year my guess would be it's more the latter and we'll see what they can do to remake their team and hopefully be more of a threat in the west there is an opportunity ahead of them they were playing much better before paul george suffered those two shoulder injuries and hopefully he can get back to that level although that was he'd never played that well before in his career so expecting him to be the same as he was for like that hot two or three month stretch next year is maybe a little bit of fool's gold but you know with george with westbrook under contract steven adams i mean those three guys you're gonna have an expensive team for quite some time to come here so unless they move one of those guys or get a lot better you had to imagine that changes will be coming perhaps not until the trade deadline to reduce salary or maybe you know people have talked about maybe steven adams being taken into a team's cap space he's due about 27 million dollars a year over the next two years that is not a value contract to me i wouldn't endorse doing that he's coming off a little bit of a down year but you know i think he's overpaid by at least 12 million dollars a year or so there so just taking him into cap space presumably some kind of incentive would have to be offered by okc there one one other note on oklahoma city's books while their four highest paid players are all under contract through 21 it is notable that robertson and patterson who make a combined 16 million both come off their books so they're not too far over the tax line for 2021 at this moment now they would have to fill out the roster and if they use the mid-level for either of the two years much less both then it gets more complicated but it the books will look a lot better at that juncture and also like let's say schroeder's contract it'll be 15.5 million at that point maybe you can even just find a taker for that or you like get out of it so i think if if they are willing to grin and bear it this year i think they can be relatively okay and 
it's also worth noting that if they hadn't taken on Schroeder, then they would the, the math would be a lot better for them right now. But we've already talked. About and now we turn to Phoenix, where Tyler Johnson has exercised his $19.25 million player option for the 2019-20 season for Woj. And this was an expected move, obviously. Johnson does provide some value when healthy. That's really been his biggest struggle. You'll recall that the way he got that contract was via a restricted free agent offer sheet from the new Brooklyn Nets. And part of why he was matched was because it was that arena structure where he made the old mid-level exception which was about six million for the first two years and then he got bumped up to 18 and 19 million these next couple of years and and one other thing there taylor johnson it sounds like his contract is the inspiration for the wrinkle that was added in the current cba that allowed a team when they're matching an arenas offer to choose to have it as a flat salary instead of doing it that way be instead of doing it where it's you know the jump they can do it either either structure because that did kind of exacerbate some situations and also johnson's structure is part of the reason the heat spent so much money on free agents in the 2017 offseason because they knew that his cap hold was going where that his yeah his whole his salary was going way up and that didn't work out particularly well for miami either and another thing to add too is certainly the brooklyn nets have been extremely lauded for getting back to this point now where they might be in contention for Kyrie and for KD at the same time they've got all this space they've got all these great young players they're such a lean machine they signed three absolutely atrocious offer sheets that they are just lucky got matched Tyler Johnson was one and you know four years 50 million for him and keep in mind also you know it would have been just a flat 12 and a half million for him had the he gone over to the Nets which might have been a little bit more palatable uh then the crab one at 18 million a year for four years with a player option and they just spent maybe not quite two first round picks to get off the last year of that salary because they also got back prints but uh, two first rounders did go uh, go out in that trade and then Otto Porter who has already been traded in a salary dump as well so all three of those offer sheets have now been traded in salary dumps before the expiration of their contracts and damn were they lucky that all three of those sheets got matched now maybe part of the rationale was oh they're probably going to get matched anyway but other than the Portland Ennis Cancer one in 2015 I don't really give teams the benefit of the doubt on those so yeah that's uh John Marks's life would be a lot different if he had those guys on his team that's for sure or even one of them it is amazing that all three of those players have been traded in salary dumps already and and no I was gonna say two of them been traded twice but only Otto Porter uh, only sorry only Crab has been traded twice yeah one of them was Marks <laughs> acquiring him which was although he did he did give up six million a year in dead salary over the Andrew same Nicholson. time period but we we didn't like that trade at the time and we were correct on that one because they just had to dump him the kings adding joe dumars dumars had long been talked about as a potential successor to dell demps in new orleans i think he had a relationship with tom benson but with his passing that was no longer going to happen so he now joins as a special advisor to vlade divats in sacramento dumars also worked with ken catanella back in detroit catanella assistant gm there as well also worked with scott perry who was with the kings briefly and did a completely terrible job before getting a promotion to go to the next so we'll see what effect dumars has on their operations between the kings brandon williams was let go and you'll recall all the drama that he was involved in with jaeger and maybe to a lesser extent divots but there's always and divots did get an extension as well but divots is you know not known for jumping into the day-to-day minutiae they felt like they needed another option there or shouldn't say option but another voice 
in that war room so I, dumar certainly has plenty of experience and yeah he really spectacularly flamed out in detroit after he built uh, that awesome eastern conference final scene that went there from 03 to 08 every year and some would say that hey you know yeah he flamed out but with that level of success he should have gotten another chance certainly mitch kupchak who is a somewhat similar story to dumar's got another chance and then also sam amick saying that the king's plan on coming to terms with it on a new deal with harrison barnes who opted out of his 25 million dollar play option plan on you know who knows what that is some other team could come with an offer but it does that would imply at the very least that that opt-out was with some kind of an offer that would be acceptable to barnes in mind you know it could be similar situation to horford where it sounds like horford opted out to get a deal that would have given him more money over more years with the celtics but then found out that there is even more money available elsewhere once he did opt out and so maybe it'll be the same for barnes but barnes won't be nearly as in demand as horford and then willie collie stein we mentioned his huge cap hold there that they're unlikely to want to offer him a big long-term deal and but that it would make sense to keep him on board and he's you know, a reasonably effective player for them maybe not deserving of a look as a long-term starter but that they would kind of like it if he took his qualifying offer his agent roger montgomery trying to prevent that by saying i really think willie needs a fresh start based on how things have gone for him there in sacramento i just think it's time for willie to move on and we'd really like him to move on i am hopeful they will not even give willie his qualifying offer in comments to the sacramento b i'm sure that's what he wants but <laughs> that's not the way the system works and i mean you could say the oh how it works in sacramento willie collie stein started 81 games last year he he has had an opportunity and was you know it wasn't was a useful part especially once they reinvented their transition offense around De'Aaron fox during the 1819 season so i think he being a being on the kings has probably helped collie stein's value overall he's gotten a really a really good chance when you consider yeah. how many centers. drafted number six overall when nobody else would have drafted in that high also that also helps also. yeah and there and there could be some some stickiness to that that happens sometimes where a player who who is overdrafted it gets thought of that way and so yeah i mean that's an agent doing doing his job saying hey we'd love to see the qualifying effort not done but sacramento can benefit from the structures that are negotiated in the collective bargaining agreement that allows them to if they are willing to make the qualifying offer and have his cap hold on their books to to make this happen and so that is what sacramento should do it sounds like that's what they will do yeah i mean it's definitely a bummer for Collie stein that i'm guessing the kings are not making him a long-term contract offer that he would be interested in and they're not committing to him going forward at the position i don't know that there's a starting role out there for willie Collie stein frankly uh but he'll probably never find out and you know they would love to just bring him back as a backup center uh, on his qualifying offer next year that's kind of not really what the qualifying offer is supposed to be about it's supposed to be a way for to give match rights but to allow team and player to work out a long-term deal if they want him to be a part of the plans i don't think he is so that that is a little bit of a bar for Collie stein but obviously those are the rules and then uh brian windhorst in washington who we will turn to very quickly here now in a look at their offseason a couple of news items number one brian windhorst saying what i think is pretty obvious since there hasn't been any momentum since the end of the finals that uh it's not going to work out with the wizards and masai ujiri tommy shepherd ran the wizards draft drafting Rui hachimura and doing the media responsibilities and then chris haynes reporting again another expected move that the wizards will decline the 20 million dollar team option as opposed to a non-guarantee on jabari parker but the nice thing about the team option if you decline it is you still have rights to him and he doesn't have to go through waivers and you can bring him back more easily in that scenario and, and haynes reporting that there is that mutual interest in re-signing so should we just turn to the Wiz overall cap situation here yeah we can do that and the wizard situation i think 
that it because of all of the moves that happened over the course of the season, I think that maybe it's been it's been lost a little bit just kind of where things ended up. So the Wizards have a they have a bunch of restricted free agents and and those holds are largely what's going to keep them over the over the cap line as of now. Though obviously those can change based on who who goes who goes elsewhere. But so if you count in Sadoransky, his hold is five point nine million, and Bobby Portis four or sorry seven point five million. Thomas Bryant one point eight. If you count all those guys in at those values, they're basically functioning as an over the cap team. And then and then the Jabari Parker thing makes that more reasonable as well because then you can use non bird rights to bring him back because you're not going to pay him that twenty million dollars. You just decline that option. So that's the so they're in a very unusual circumstance where I wouldn't expect the Wizards to pay the luxury tax next year, but they sh- they have a pretty significant amount of flexibility as long as none of their pending free agents get a ridiculous offer. You know, like if somebody doesn't fall in love with Thomas Bryant or Bobby Portis and just gives them a, just a ridiculous offer that then the Wizards choose to match. Yeah, so probably the best way to think of this is where would they be without any of those free agents? And they still wouldn't have significant cap room if they move on from all of those restricted free agents. They'd only have $8 million less than the mid-level exception. So it makes sense to stay over the cap regardless. They would have uh, the BAE available uh, at their disposal as well. This year, BAE, this year, you can do a two-year deal starting at $3.6 million. Obviously, the full mid-level exception, four-year deal starting at $9.2 million. So they've got the $8 million below the cap. That gives them $31 million below the tax. And those three restricted free agents that, in theory, they'd like to retain between Sadoransky, Portis, and Bryant. And then, of course, the, there's Jabari Parker, who they want to bring back as well. And seems hard to believe that $30 million would be enough to get all four of those guys back. Also, you might say that, and if you are going to do that, then you're probably not going to use your other salary cap exceptions to bring in free agents from outside the organization, because then that's going to put you uh, over the tax line now they also have the option of course of waving and stretching Jan Mahimi at his 15.4 million and perhaps you know if they were to do that then they could make open up another 10 million dollars in room but they'd have fi- a 5 million dead charge on their books the next three years unlikely to me given where they are in rebuilding that they would give up assets to try to excise Mahimi's salary entirely perhaps you could see them going into the tax to start the year and then moving Mahimi at the trade deadline but I, th- I think even that uh, seems unlikely to me it just doesn't make sense to give up assets when Mahimi's going to expire at the end of this year and John Wall is hurt his designated player extensions kicks in this year at 38 million you got 38 million in dead money on your books this year you're not going to be that competitive this season anyway so it doesn't make sense to me to do anything with Mahimi in fact it probably to me doesn't make sense to do anything even stretching Mahimi this year yeah especially because that would be kind of a canary in the coal mine that they've spent too much money on other things and especially if those come on long-term contracts then that five million could end up being more significant moving forward the other way that washington theoretically could clear more spending power would be if they made a trade involving bradley beal where they took back less salary it sounds and feels to me like that is significantly less likely now now that the draft is over it's a whole nother year pretty much until you they could find know what those draft assets are because there's a, a much greater value to knowing okay the sixth pick is on the table rather than team x's pick which they have the sixth worst record or you know for now they have that and Bradley Beal is going to make them better and all this sort of all those sorts of things so my instinct is that is that they're going to keep him around at least for now I think that's probably a mistake unless he has shown an openness to 
re-signing that we haven't heard publicly, but you know that they can have very different conversations there. Because the problem with waiting on Beal, more so if they have to wait until after the season rather than at the deadline, is that teams just don't give up nearly as much for a one-year rental as a two-year guy. And yes, that team will have full bird rights on him, and that could be very valuable. But if Beal is not a part of their long, long-term future, and their present isn't that bright, especially with John Wall being out, this would have been the right time to make a move. This is something you and I talked about with Kemba Walker at this point in his in his contract. Yep, and we'll see. Maybe Walker will return to Charlotte, but still, that's probably going to be a bad contract, and they'll be in the purgatory that every team other than Atlanta in the Southeast Division apparently contractually must be in, where they're just capped out, but you know, on the fringes of the playoff picture. Yeah, Beal now would be eligible for just a normal extension. The most that they could offer him would be a three-year deal that would be relatively lucrative uh, for him it, it'd be almost 100 million dollars might even be a little bit more than that uh, as i'm eyeballing it here so over 30 million dollars per season now does he want to stay in washington does that seem paltry compared to the designated player veteran extension that he could have gotten had he made all nba this year but did not maybe so if he waits one more year even if he doesn't make all nba then he could sign a four-year extension you know starting basically at the max because this is one of those ones where he signed it in the summer of 2016 and he had pretty big raises so he's actually making 28 million in the last year of that deal you bump that up by 120 percent you're basically right at the max so the extension would in theory make sense for him next offseason and perhaps the hope is that wall can come back towards the end of this year and maybe he looks okay and you know beal might want to extend and then if you can't do it then you trade him at, at that point as you noted i don't think you're going to get as much especially because if you trade him next year then he has to wait six months to get that extension somewhere else and maybe he still would do it but then you're pretty close to free agency and you might as well go into it at at that point so i would certainly be listening on beal they're not going anywhere he's waxed and wane there's been reports that he doesn't intend on resigning i think chris haynes had that a few months ago then he's he's also been saying oh i want to be a wizard for life perhaps he felt that way when the designated player veteran extension was potentially on the table and now uh that it's not he's not necessarily going to go that route but yeah i mean i think they just it's clear to me that they have to reload the only way you could argue maybe that they don't is next summer they could have 30 million in space if they strip it all down to just john wall and beal and maybe if wall somehow in his late 20s after coming off a torn achilles and all these knee problems is back to being a really good player and you could add one more piece around those guys and now you're back to you know your semi diet coke of contention in the east the way they were a few years before this but i find that rather unlikely that they could get that piece next summer as we've talked about what that market's going to look like so i'm in total agreement i think they should look to moon certainly be listening at the very least uh let's turn back to this idea of their pending free age sadaransky portis bryant jabari parker how would you prioritize bringing those guys back obviously it depends on the money for each of them sure but just in terms of how important you deem them to what these teams what this team is going to be on the court next in the immediate sadaransky moves up on the list because if they if they want to be competitive the upcoming season because they need shot creation capable guard play and they have fewer options there than they do with the other slots including the fact that portis and parker can occupy similar roles in the rotation so 
they they duplicate each other so then i think that pushes each of them down on the list yeah and then you also throw in that i don't know who there is on the market that they could get for the full mid-level who would be better than satarinsky i mean you know Agreed. but beverly you know maybe like a Corey joseph type of guy but well and are those players going to the wizards where it doesn't look like they're going to be a playoff team next year you know maybe yeah. if they go if you know years over dollars and just offer you know beverly four years and and that's way more overall money than he would get somewhere else that sort of a circumstance but are the wizards willing to do that for a player who ideally is going to be replaced by john wall yeah i think a lot of it they're going to try to use restricted free agency to hold down his value you know i think something he and dale and wright are in very similar situations i think something in the six to eight million dollar a year range would probably be about right to me on zadaransky and i think that you know he certainly can play some two with his size he's shooting it better from three although still pretty low volume and, and makes a solid backup to john wall at a position where even if wall comes back he's going to be playing very limited minutes uh, you would imagine missing games etc you know he's not going to be uh, uh, I, I know scott brooks uh loves playing these guys a crap of minutes by the way this is a, an interesting set i, I want to say i can't remember who had this on tour i apologize for not citing it correctly that bradley beal uh, led the nba in minutes last year and but you know he's only averaging like 36 minutes a game but he actually played more possessions than anyone has played in 10 years because the pace of the game is so much faster that's an interesting thought in terms of wear and tear and i mean some of the maybe they were trying to help him gun for stats so he could get the designated player veteran extension you know who knows why on earth they're playing him you know 40 minutes a game when they're out of it late in the season but i I wouldn't recommend that for a guy with a history of like stress reactions in his leg no i would not and the other free agents for the wizards have i mean they have challenging they're challenging situations for me because i value them less than it appears the wizards do and certainly other teams like there was the stuff about bobby portis rejecting a lucrative extension offer from the bulls because he thought he was going to get more money 50 million dollars incredible and jabari i've generally and he jabari is a great he crystallizes something that is very important to me which is a backup that you do not want starting to me those types of players are significantly less valuable because there are two concepts of a backup and one of them is not only are they playing 15 to 20 minutes a game especially if they're high end backup but it's that if the starter goes down they become the person who steps into that role and parker talked about this before in terms of julius randall like especially these defensive limited forwards bigs whatever that just aren't particularly good fits with that or maybe it's that they're they're too ball dominant and you're gonna have better creators on in your starting five and so i expect somebody to overpay jabari parker i expect it to be the wizards but i wouldn't be there and while portis isn't well, well, what's, what's an overpay to you um most so i would say six to eight million dollars i'd say that's for me that would be an overpay for most circumstances yeah i'd giving him five i'd be okay he, with he, so he, play, he played well for, for he them did last but year, but but how valuable is what the, he played well but how valuable was the play that he well gave yeah the, and there's a, a few things you can say too i mean remember he came back in february February of 2018 from that torn ACL and I think he's has looked better as time has gone on and they also have no scoring on this team at all uh and that's a, a big concern I mean, other than Bradley Beal there's nobody who you look at on this team is a good score uh we also haven't even mentioned yet Trevor Ariza as another guy that they theoretically want to bring back and they didn't move him at the trade deadline because they wanted uh his non-bird rights they made 15 million last year and you know he's 30 so i don't know how hard they want to go as far as giving him a long-term deal they also don't really have anything at the three outside of him i mean that's that's another, and they also 
Jeff Green, but Green, they would have to dip into an exception because he signed from the minimum. Green also had a pretty good year last year. I mean, they have a really thin depth chart. And I mean, you know, this is what happens when you have $38 million doing absolutely nothing for you on your books. Like they have six players under contract right now. They got Rui, Troy Brown, Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard could be back this year uh, after missing all the last year with that Pierre Forrest injury. Mahin me, John Wall and Bradley Peel. I mean, they need like an entire team and they've got $31 million below the tax to fill out an entire team. So that's another reason why I think you should probably be looking to trade Bradley Beal because I just, unless they're willing to pay the tax, which would be pretty insane from a business standpoint, I don't know how they even get close to playoff conditions. They have no chance of stopping anybody with this group. Well, especially, I, I like Thomas Bryant and it was he was a revelation this past year after getting waived and claimed. You know, he was waived by the Lakers and then claimed by the Wizards and, may, you know, did a nice job as a starter. But he's this kind of, you know, maybe a floor raiser type of guy because he's not great defensively, capable offensively. And so, A, that's a problem in terms of overpaying him. But also, if we're getting into a discussion about whether the Wizards can can defend anybody, he doesn't exactly help that argument. Yeah, and he really was pretty atrocious. And you could find offensive centers of his ilk. You know, if he gets a restricted free agent offer sheet, I wouldn't be too interested in matching. I mean, I mean to me, you got to bring back Sadaransky. You know, I would offer him between 6 and $8 million a year. I think you, you with at his age, you're probably fine going four years with him if you need to. And then everyone else, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to really string him out. I mean, I actually think, you know, depending on how much it would cost to bring him back and how many years he'd be willing to take, you know, I'm sure Jabari is still thinking like, you know, oh, just one more year now. I just put up these stats all year. I could start like, uh, you know, I'm going to get $20 million a year again, which is, you know, just with his defensive limitations, some of the issues you talked about him not really being a starter. Uh, I don't necessarily see that. But I mean, they do need scoring on this team. Like he would probably be the second of those guys. Portis, we've talked about his fit issues before as a, a guy who shoots it can rebound and you know that's kind of about it runs the floor but you know one of again one of the worst defensive players at his position and you know brian again you can just kind of find centers anyway. when they have a center under contract already in, in howard um so yeah it's it's looking pretty bleak here and my fear is that they aren't going to just take their medicine and they'll stretch mahimi or they'll try to move him in some way because they're like oh man we got all these guys we can bring back like yeah i mean all these guys who got you to what was it 32 wins last year i could see a parallel here with phoenix last year where maybe they attribute some of their struggles in the previous season to bad luck and say hey we're gonna you know we'll, we'll bring back the guys that we like and then make additions if they can but the problem is those additions will probably come on at least some of them on multi-year contracts and it just delays what feels like the inevitable with bradley beal and so they get a worse return for him whenever it is that they do decide to do that heaven forbid they even just like wait and lose him for nothing at in the summer of 2021 that seems like a possibility to me especially if John Wall comes back and looks kind of good then they just roll with it but yeah I could see this as just being a you know a not a reality check that which is exactly what it should be and you would hope that firing the general manager especially considering how long tenured he'd been would do that but I I yeah. don't but, feel well they co- need to get a new general manager first right isn't isn't that that's what's what's about to go on here even though it was a good sign that like they spent some money to take on us to get a second round pick and those kind of little things they need to get the big decisions right first yeah all these calculations by the way assuming that they will waive jonathan simmons they also have sam decker who they could make a restricted free agent i'm guessing he will not receive a qualifying offer they have uh chess and randall as well whom they could make a restricted free agent uh 
uh and they have to decide on non-guarantees for jordan mcrae and Tariq. guessing it's Tariq. i've actually never heard his name pronounced before Tariq philip guys who they signed at the very very end of the season and i mean you know i, I and then they've still got green who they might try to bring back too but it, it's and green is from the dc area maybe he would take another minimum that would go a long way to making them at least semi-competent next year at the power forward position so yeah i mean it is really you look at their books and it's like oh you know it's not really that bad you know they're they got eight million dollars eight million dollars under the cap but then you realize uh oh wait they have like two-thirds of a team that they still need to fill out and, and 30 million dollars to do that with makes it pretty difficult there looks like hajimura is going to play a lot for these guys too uh and uh admiral schofield who they drafted uh with that 42nd pick that they got from philly in the simmons salary dump uh another guy who might get some tick next year let's look now at atlanta they've done a lot of their work already so this isn't nearly as interesting as it may have appeared a month ago they took on money in the alan crab deal and then took on more money in that deal for deandre hunter and the number four pick dumping uh and being a dumping ground for solomon hill from the pels what do their books look like now with all of that action actually none of those things have technically happened yet they can't happen until july 6th but assuming that they do all happen what are their books like look like with all those moves in the rear view travis link has a choice in front of him but that choice might be dictated by Dwayne deadman so basically if they clear off their pending free agents the hawks could still have about 14 million in space to work with however they could also choose to stay over the cap and that would likely involve retaining deadman they have early bird rights on him and you know he had a significant salary last year so that that's presumably going to be enough to retain deadman and if they did that oh sorry i just realized that they can't i was going to say they could stay over the cap but they functionally have to use cap space to bring on solomon hill so they can't actually do it that way they yeah, have to go the same thing with crab as yeah well, so. that's right yeah. yeah so so fewer choices then um so basically then they have 14 million to work with and they could theoretically you know deadman's hold and they could go over with that so that would give them a little bit more wiggle room and they have the room exception to work with so that's not a lot in terms of in terms of flexibility, but it is also worth noting that we just got off the Wizards and they have like half a team. Whether or not these players are good yet or, you know, it's probably going to take them some time, the Hawks have a lot of guys on roster that you expect to get playing time, so there isn't really that much they can offer potential free agents in terms of minutes. Yeah, their needs right now, backup point guard stands out the most. They do have Jalen Adams who got most of the minutes there behind Trey Young with the departure of Jeremy Lin via buyout back in february but you'd think they'd want to bring in maybe a little bit more experience of an option behind young or and even just to have a third point guard if you want to rest young at certain times they've also tried deandre bembry in that role as a backup point guard at, at times too but let me ask you this just overall i mean so so they've got that is we'll go through their needs first and last they've got a ton of options on the wing ton of options at the four now center looking a little sparse with really only alex len and amari spellman under contract they'll probably also bring in bruno fernando uh, who is the number 34 overall pick he's the center so maybe they feel like that's enough i think they also want to bring back deadman they have early bird rights on him but that's not as valuable they can offer him 175 percent of what he made last year there's talk of him maybe getting a big balloon deal but you know zach Lowe said this on his pod that deadman is getting talked about a lot of places he's another one of these guys that is versatile enough that he fits a lot of places if atlanta came with a two-year offer at 12 million 
the year you know maybe that ends up being enough for him uh that's that's about what they could get to just as i'm eyeballing it here well and Um, it's also worth noting that deadman at age 29 and considering how the center position is going he might not want to take a lot of money for 1920 and then hit the market again unless it is so much money where you expect that it'll be easy to make up any potential margin later on yeah and the hawks they as it stands now project to have 77 million dollars in cap space next year they will have just all rookie contracts they've got Bazemore, crab hill Plumley, all coming off the books so i don't know if they want to dig into that space uh, with the multi-year deal for deadman and he may just want to go play with the winner and it's not the end of the world to me if they lose him it, especially because with the acquisition of hunter and john collins still in the fold and, and they got cam reddish as well to potentially play the three they got a bunch of other wing options also it looks like the vision is going to be to have collins play more center this year so maybe you feel like he's your starting center maybe they don't start hunter but eventually what we're talking about here is that so they could also re-sign deadman although he would be able to veto a trade if they only give him a, a one-year deal uh but i don't know that it's essential to do that and they might want to try to find someone with that 13 million dollar in cap space maybe make a restricted free agent offer sheet or someone else who can grow with this team a little bit more if you are in fact going to sacrifice that cap space in the summer of 2020 something else that, i just want yeah. to mention briefly with that i the 2020 ideas the 77 million figure you brought up is 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 jarring because that's that's a ton of money and it might be so much that schlenk considers using part of that to take on a multi-year contract either this summer or at the deadline remember how much expiring money they have and they could do a lot of different flavors of this it could be a you know a dump for a dump meaning like solomon hill or plumley for somebody who is similarly marginalized but just has money beyond the coming season or it could be more of a value add and that was some of the reporting that was out there of if they had included Bazemore in a trade for Brandon Knight let's say and so in that sort of a circumstance then you're you're getting value you're giving somebody up who can help the new team and so that's something that they'll pay for and you're taking on bad money so I think that you know 77 unless they think there's a way that they're going to get two max guys I don't even know who that would be in next year's class because it's just not that it's just not that strong a group especially for young players who would be a good fit with the Hawks core. So I would probably consider that as well. And the other way of doing that, and they're not mutually exclusive necessarily, would be to make a more lucrative offer for somebody who's young on the market this year. Yeah, and you could say maybe bringing in a young backup one card. Now, one thing that may happen is the Pels and Lakers trade could be expanded to include the Hawks. I'm guessing that the Pels aren't going to want to take on extra salary from the Lakers in that deal themselves because they've gone to great pains now to open up the 32 million in cap space for themselves but the hawks might be willing to do that one thing that's been suggested is maybe a sign and trade with alex caruso to bump up the outgoing salary from the lakers enough that ad could get his whole trade bonus and they can still use the cap space before they execute the trade later as an over the cap team and perhaps atlanta might have interest in alex caruso off a sign and trade from the lakers and bring him in as your long-term backup point guard option maybe tie jones would be another guy they could look at as well uh you know right and sadaransky at 27 maybe they're a little bit older than what you'd be talking about here uh but it, i do think the one thing and we'll see how reddish works out but the one thing this team needs in the long term is another guy who can really create outside of trey young they don't have much there and sure they'll have other draft assets going forward they'll have all this cap room and free 
agency next year so it's not essential that they uh, address that right now i'm interested to see how good they want to be this year there might be some value in starting to get better with all that cap space available and trey young people have definitely taken notice of that there's been a lot of reports that atlanta is kind of viewed as this sleeping giant in free agency going forward i don't see them doing much with their 13 million this year but that's not really enough to pick up a ton in terms of assets going forward like another first round pick you're probably not going to get there unless you know you could have gone the tony snell route and take on a, a deal that goes through 2021 but as you've talked about before there's not that many of those bad deals that go beyond the summer uh there may be some after this summer uh when some of these are signed and maybe the hawks would keep their cap space open uh for that purpose but i i think they feel like they're getting close here in terms of some of the guys they have and we'll see what the guys they just drafted this year look like how herder and young developed this year uh, I think that'd be interesting if they did want to go more of a short-term center route uh, or even get a center who could be part of this group more in the long term anybody stick out to you there in either the unrestricted or restricted markets Jordan Bell would be interesting depending on what yes. Lloyd Pierce wants as their defensive identity also I mean the Warriors cap situation could make it so that any any money to Jordan Bell becomes prohibitive so he could be more gettable than a lot of these guys and just you know as, as an option I think that that more teams are going to be going towards this theory of the center position that you have a couple of different players with different skills. I think Maxi Kleba would be interesting. He's a little older at 27, so not a perfect fit there. But, you know, the floor spacing and he's a better shot blocker than a lot of the jump shooting bigs that are in the league now. They could roll the dice on Nerlens Noel, somebody who's basically always looking for a contract so they could go that direction as well. I, I still like Nerlens. I think there's a place for him. Jermichael Green would be interesting as kind of like an option. Kylo Quinn pro- yeah. probably. I, I think they have enough of, at the four though. Uh, the, yeah. I, I think it's really center and point guard to me are the only sure. things they need right now. Yeah, but I like I like O'Quinn there, fine. Uh, and I think Jermichael Green could play some five. They just have to go, they could go in some different different directions yeah, if they wanted to go ultra small ball yeah but, uh and it wouldn't surprise me if they like wanted one look let's say you play 10 minutes a game that way that wouldn't surprise yeah. me at all another name that we probably haven't talked about enough has been kem birch as a restricted free agent yeah that's a good call with the magic now they i could see them probably matching on birch although eh, maybe not because if they bring back vooch and they still are committed to bomba you know maybe they feel like it doesn't make sense to commit much to birch who happens to be better than bomba right now but you know birch again i mean you really need quality role men and someone who can really defend at that center position i think they they need the ability to have that look in addition to the collins at center all offense type of look uh and i mean they love running those double drag screens in transition and so having guys who can both roll and popping that's kind of the beauty of deadman in this offense uh is really useful in that double drag that they ran all the time was just totally unstoppable with trey young at, at the controls to the point where even like brad stevens started going with a zone to combat that in a game at one point another interesting one maybe could be if the jazz want to use space maybe they would try to pick up Derek favors from the jazz and have him be their center he's an atlanta native uh and think of him maybe as someone that they could potentially re-sign uh 28 right now it would also be i think a lot better for atlanta if they could pick up favors now as opposed to trying to sign him as a free agent next year just to see how his fit is with john collins like that because they're we've been talking about what john collins front court made it should be for a while now and favors would be a different option there and knowing it before you have to make a commitment 
commitment to paying him because theoretically center or power forward could end up being one of the avenues that Schlenk uses in free agency next summer. So getting that information would be really nice. It is, un- I think it's really unfortunate for Atlanta that Favors was not included in the Conley trade because in that circumstance, they could have had an easier conversation with Memphis who not only already has Jaron Jackson and looks like they might be bringing back Valanciunas, but they also drafted Brandon Clark. So then you just, you can go to them and say, hey, like we'll give you something of small value. They have a lot of kind of sweetener type guys and that would have been there. But instead it looks like, at least right now, that Utah wants to keep Favors. Yeah, it seems like uh, that's the case. Also, some a few other names for you. Kevon Looney, only 23. Schlank has familiarity with him uh, from his days in Golden State, although that was before Looney emerged. Uh, Ed Davis could be a thought. Uh, the Hawks did do a pretty good job on the offensive glass at times last year in their two big alignments. Ed Davis uh, could help with that. And, hey, you know, maybe Robin Lopez or Rashawn Holmes could also be guys that they might look at. I mean, there's a lot of options at center. And I, I'm not even sure that they need another center. They might feel okay going in with Len and Spellman and Collins. As soon as they still have Miles Plumley on this team, not that he uh, is someone you want to be counting on. I, I want to give forward. you a name for the point guard spot, depending on how much money they have to spend. Ish Smith could be a logical fit of a guy who isn't really threatening the starter, but can still play capable minutes, can be a gap filler in case Trey Young has to go out due to injury or is in foul trouble or whatever, and who might be willing to take a shorter term contract if you give him the right amount of money at the immediate. And especially we just talked about the Pistons losing some of their financial flexibility. I like him better for Atlanta than a lot of the other options that are out there. It would be price dependent, but I I do like Ish better than just about everybody else I think would be reasonable for them to get. Yeah, at 30, I'm not sure that it makes sense to go with more than one year. And I think such an offer will be forthcoming from the Pistons who really have no way to replace him. So it feels like Ish was probably going to stay with the Pistons if I had to guess because they they just will be desperate to keep him. Um, And I don't know, for a 30-year-old point guard on a multi-year deal, I'm not sure how much sense that makes. But I mean, Schlenk, it's interesting. Like I've probably really agreed with maybe 85% of the stuff that Schlenk has done. And then I've really disagreed with like the other 15% of it. And so who knows? I mean, you could see something something like that. But it's uh, this team is going to be absolutely fascinating going forward here. And uh, can't wait to see what they become over the next few years or so. Anything else on these guys? No, I think that's about it. Uh, they do have extension possibilities with DeAndre Bembry. My instinct is that they just kind of play out that string and see where he fits in the rotation. It's hard to even conceive of what a team-friendly offer would be and we very rarely see those four players like him so i don't expect i don't expect to see anything there but and they do just for the sake of completeness the hawks have a partial guarantee on jalen adams he is a hundred thousand guaranteed until late july and so they'll probably just see where they are yeah he'll probably play summer league uh but yeah i think he showed enough to stay on here yeah, just be a rotation a rotation guy like or like a like a back-end rotation sub type of guy all right we have uh, a couple of very special coming up here very shortly. I hope that you will check in on those the rest of the week. Till then. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.